0: Hallelujah. Well, I want to open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. And today I want to talk to you for just a little while about the precious blood of Jesus. And I use that phrase because that's what the King James Version uses in this passage, I'm going to uh, read from 1 Peter one. Actually, I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. It says, "For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or your vain uh, manner of life or living, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb." without blemish, and without spot. Let's go ahead and read verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. We'll just pick those two words out of the 19th verse. Lift them out for a moment. Precious blood. That which is precious is, of that, is that which is of great value nothing is precious unless it's of great value that which is precious usually is of high price the word there means to be highly esteemed or cherished and I've noticed I'm sure you have as well that things that are truly precious many times are also rare And they have many times a great significance for us individually. That's why they're precious. You may have a few things that to other people might not be precious, but to you they are because of their rarity, because maybe of who gave it to you or who used it or whatever the case may be. But we understand the concept of that which is precious. And the blood of Jesus here is referred to as being precious, now I want to talk to you today for a little while, we may need to conclude next week or take it on further as the Lord directs, but I want to talk to you about the benefits that are available to us through and by the blood of Jesus. Sometimes when you talk about a subject like this in church, you know, people might think, well, that's kind of a preachery thing, that's, uh I'm not a student of theology, I'm not in Bible school, so... I don't know that I'm really all that interested in in studying that kind of a subject, but the fact is the blood of Jesus affects us all, all of us who are saved, and there are distinct biblically listed benefits and blessings of the blood of Jesus that every Christian can take advantage of, and when you do, you'll find your life is better. Now... You know, I would assume you're here today because you want your life to be just a bit better. You want to receive something from the Lord. You want something imparted into you, either by means of revelation and wisdom and or by the power of God manifesting into your life, perhaps as a healing in your body or whatever it may be. And, of course, you want to be better equipped to live a better life to be a better example of Jesus in the world, to be a better witness, and to enjoy all that God has called us to do. Now I know that there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that seem to have a problem if you talk too much about being blessed because they somehow think that, that we're going to be jaded and that's all we're going to come to church for and that's all we're going to think about. But, of course, that's not really so. I mean, there might be a few people that get off on that track, but they won't last long because if all you hang around church for and if all you look to Jesus for is just, all, just what you can get and you have no concept of your own submission and surrender to him and you have no concept of obeying him in any shape, form, or fashion, then those blessings are not going to come to you. And so you'll become disillusioned and, and you'll be like some have done. You'll just walk away from it. We're not. we're not of that number. Can you say amen? amen? We want to live a blessed life for a number of reasons. Yes, we want to be blessed. But we also understand around here that being blessed and having the very best life that God could possibly give you is one of the best ways to witness to the world and to your family and to friends and coworkers and other people you know about the goodness of God. If people look at you, and don't want what you have, then you're not doing it right. If nobody looks to you and says, I would like to have at least something like they have, or there's something about your life that they would want to emulate or at least investigate, then you're not doing Christianity right. witnessing is not just walking around to random strangers in the mall or at a sporting event and asking them, do you know Jesus or would you go to heaven if you died right now? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's not the only way to witness. And it's not leaving tracks on urinals in men's room. Now, ladies, you may not be aware of that, but sometimes, you know, you go on Sunday after church to a restaurant and you use the bathroom. And I mean, first of all, I'm not going to pick that thing up and read it I don't care what's on it <laughs> so you know some people just and the reason I bring that up is because some people <laughs> Dina you gotta kick up. I can tell she's never been to the men's room at the Olive Garden <laughs> all right uh, but you know some people they just do stuff to to put a notch on the list So, you know, I feel like I've done my duty today. I've been a witness today. No, being a witness is your whole life. Being a witness would be going back out and leaving a decent tip. Ooh, glory. My oldest grandson used to work at a restaurant in Lynchburg, and he would tell us, he said, I hate Sundays worst of all. He said, because number one, church people are not nice. And number two, they don't tip well. So if you're not going to leave a decent tip and you're not going to be nice, go home. Just be mean at the house. Amen. 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 All right. All right. All right. All right. So how do we get off? Oh, being a witness. Being a witness. So we want to find out. All of the good things that God has done for us through the blood of Jesus so that we can take advantage of those things, not only that we could be blessed, but that we could be a blessing and be a faithful witness. So we'll start on our list. The very first thing that I want to talk to you about is found in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. So if you want to, you can turn over there, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. And I'm reading uh, from the King James Version. I went back to the King James Version some, some time back. Uh, It's the version, of course, that Paul used, and so I I want to be in good company. Um, You know, I'm not as young as I used to be, and I learned, you know, my early years of Christianity, verses I memorized and things like that were from the King James, and so um, it just is easier for me. But you look at whatever translation that you have. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And, so this is, this is something very important. We really need this last part. This is the, the main part of this verse. And without shedding of blood is no remission. The first thing on our list is the fact that our sins have been remitted through and by the blood of Jesus. The word for remission here is from the word for freedom. It means pardon it means forgiveness, it means deliverance, it means liberty, and of course, it means remission. And so through the blood of Jesus, and only through the blood of Jesus, our sins have been pardoned, our sins have been forgiven, our sins have been remitted. And just one interesting note, when you pay your electric bill, You are sending to them the remittance, it's called. And maybe you've seen statements and bills. If you still do anything with paper and checks, uh, some of you young folks may not even be aware of this concept. But it will say send remittance to. The word remittance, that means you you pay what you owe. You pay what's due. And so that's the idea that the payment for our sin debt was paid for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I mentioned the Olive Garden a while ago. I don't have any uh, stock in the Olive Garden. But uh, maybe I should, but I don't have any. But we, we were there one time, and there were some wonderful folks here from the church that bought our dinner. And we didn't, we didn't know they were going to do that. And I was perfectly prepared to pay, but they bought our dinner. So that, that's the concept. They remitted They paid my bill. And you know, there is a scripture that I want to give to all of you. Go thou and do likewise. (laughs) I'm just joking. If you get mad about that, you really don't know me. I'm joking. Um, But anyway, that's the concept. We owed a debt. And by the way, it was a debt we couldn't pay. In a million years, we couldn't pay it. We could never pay it if every waking hour of every day for the rest of our lives, we tried to do something we thought was constructive and beneficial for the kingdom of God. We could not pay that debt. And Jesus just came and freely paid it for us. The penalty or the debt for our sin, and actually it was both, it was a debt we owed, but also there was a penalty attached to it. All of that was taken care of. All of it was paid in full at the cross. Now, those of you who have no background in Catholicism, you may not be, have such a great appreciation for this, but any of you who do have a background in Catholicism, you will appreciate this statement. There is no biblical concept called penance. You do not have to do something now to pay for the sins that you committed in the past. And that's important because what you also need to understand is God is not going to put any sickness, disease, or dreaded thing bring you to any place of a curse or a mess so that you can pay for some wrong thing you did five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, or three Days ago. The grace of God has taken care of the sin debt. Aren't you glad? Now, sometimes when you teach along these lines, there are those you know, who would say, well, you know, you got to be very careful because sometimes people can misunderstand the concept of grace and understand the concept of, uh, misunderstand the concept of grace and misunderstand the concept of sins remitted, and they just kind of feel like they have a license to go sin. My answer to that is people sin without a license every day. Not that you sin every day, but people do this every day. So this is not a license. To sin. It's just a fact that you do not have to live in fear of some terrible thing happening because of what you did in the past. If it's under the blood, then thank God the debt has been paid. And the blood of Jesus is our only legal plea before the court of heaven that we can live this kind of life. I can't go before God and say, you know, Lord, you remember I did this and I did that and I did that and I did this and I did that. And so therefore now, you know, you owe me my forgiveness. You owe me your, blood. no, that's not how it works. I can only go before God and plead the blood. I present myself before the Father and I just plead the blood of Jesus. That's my legal plea. You say, well, what good is that? Well, it's wonderful because it took care of everything. Yeah. My sins have been remitted. Number two, and this is very similar, but yet there's a distinctive difference that we need to understand. Number two, the second benefit of the blood I want to talk to you about is that our sins have been cleansed. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And here the apostle John writes to believers... I'll make that very clear. If you don't catch my significance of that, then that's great. But if you do, you understand what I'm saying. This was written to Christians. This is an epistle. And he says uh, to us in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Notice, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. What does that word mean, cleanseth? Well, it means exactly what it says, to make clean. To purge, to purify. So not only was the debt paid so that that my sins would not be a debt that I owed, But through the blood of Jesus, those sins that I had committed have been cleansed from my life. My record has been expunged. There is no record in heaven. How does God do that? The same way you delete a file. The same way you send something to the trash bin and then you empty the trash bin. And it's no longer on your device. Well, God just pressed the delete button. When you came to Him and He took away your sins and He took away all of the debt that you owed and He cleansed you of those things... And when you and I were born again, we came before God and we stood before him with all of our sins and all of our past that we could not change or fix at all, and through the confession of our faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, we were made a new creature in Christ Jesus, and that creature according to 2 Corinthians 5:21 is now the righteousness of God in Christ, and no devil or demon in hell can say otherwise that That's just how it is. And when you read the entire chapter of 1 John chapter 1, you will find that even to believers, when we do sin and when we do miss it, verse 9 goes on to say, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm glad that when I stand before God and I don't have any unconfessed sin in my life and I'm standing before him as one of his children, I am so thankful that I'm standing before him as holy and righteous as I can evermore be. Now your mind goes tilted. that. I can tell. I can tell by the response that I received from that statement. It's hard for us to accept the fact that God has truly made us righteous. That we have been acquitted, found not guilty. Because we remember in our own minds things we did and things we said. We remember that kind of thing. But God has chosen to forget those kinds of things. Amen. Sin cleansing is important because sin is unclean. You know, in the Bible when you read it, you'll read a phrase sometimes, unclean spirit. And then there are other kinds of spirits, you know, there's a, there are spirits of infirmity, there's a spirit of fear, there's an unclean spirit. But I heard somebody say one time, and I thought it was really good, and they were discussing that a little bit, and they said, well, you know, but really and truly, all evil spirits are unclean. None of them are clean. None of them are good. They're all evil. Well, you've got to understand that the uncleanliness, the uncleanness that comes along with sin can only be washed or purged, done away with, through the blood of Jesus. And that's why we need to be preaching and teaching ongoing about the blood of Jesus in our church life. It's one of those subjects that you used to hear about more than you hear today. It used to be preached more often and more frequently. And today, a lot of other things, you know, are done and, and said in churches. And I'm not saying that all, all the things that, are, uh, other things that are done and said, I'm not saying they're all bad. But I'm just saying we can't throw away these basics. And this takes us back to primitive Christianity. This takes us back to the book of Acts type of Christianity. This takes us all the way back to the Old Testament even in the sense that all those blood sacrifices of the Old Testament were all but types shadows, pictures, images of that which is to come that was culminated and consummated in the sacrifice of Jesus himself as the only perfect man who ever walked the earth. Adam was until he fell. He didn't remain a perfect man. But God robed himself in flesh. We're coming into this Christmas season. He robed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us in a human body and walked the earth and exemplified the only perfect man that we know of who maintained that throughout his life. And so his death was a death that was in a sense unjust to him because he died for you. He died for me. He became a curse so that I could be blessed. He became sick so that I could be well. He became poor so that I through his poverty might be made rich. All these things, substitution. And one of the things that happened in that time was that our sins were cleansed. And so anytime we come before God in true repentance, even when we've missed it, that blood still cleanses us. And according to the first verse we were looking at on this this key, uh, verse 7, if we're walking in all the light we have, in other words, if we're doing what we know, even if we were to miss it unknowingly, the blood still cleanses. There is a constant cleansing. Now, I'm not talking about willfully doing bad things and just presuming on the grace of God And just hoping that we'll get by. I'm not talking about that at all. But I'm talking about we are seeking God. We're living for God day by day by day. We're going to miss it sometimes. But aren't you glad for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus? Amen. So, the blood of Jesus cleansed us. The desire of God. And this is really important to know. And I think this is a really wonderful uh, thought to kind of keep in our meditations during this holiday season, the desire of God to have us near. You know that that it's important to to be near. There's something about touch. There's something about just being fel- in fellowship. You know, if you have your family, uh, yesterday evening our daughter and uh, and her daughter came over to the house well actually it was in the night so we were sitting there around the fire well we were pretty close uh but it would it was wonderful but it would not have been the same had they been all the way on the other end of the house and we've been saying well what do you think about this how do you like that cake there's something about nearness god wants you near He's not wanting you some faraway place that he has to yell at you. As a matter of fact, when it comes to guidance from God and being led by the Spirit, you probably don't want him to have to yell at you. You want to be able to discern the still, small voice of God. God in his desire to have us near and to have us in right standing with him because, listen carefully, that's the only way you can get close to him. You can't get close to God with sin in your life. Ongoing, unconfessed, deliberate sin. You, you, you can't get close to God that way. And so God wanted us uh, to be near Him, and He wanted us to be in right standing with Him, and that desire compelled Him to cleanse us from our sin. And the only way that could happen was through the blood of Jesus. And, and maybe none of us understand that completely. Maybe none of us can really fully comprehend why and how all that had to be. But the good thing about the Word of God and the good thing about the truth of God is I don't have to figure it all out or understand it all to believe it and to enjoy the benefits of it. Like I used that old illustration, you've heard it probably many times, some of you. But I really don't fully understand how a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk and it ends up as yellow butter on your table. But I'll take it, especially with a good biscuit. (laughs) A really good biscuit, amen. So God has cleansed us from our sins through the blood of Jesus. We'll do one more at least. And this kind of goes along with the same, same concept. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14. And here we are again talking about a cleansing, and it's the same word. It's the word to make clean, to purge, or purify. But here in verse 22, it says, wait a minute, I'm looking at the wrong, I'm looking at the wrong, uh, Hebrews 9, 14. I'm sorry, we already looked at 22. Verse 14 says, How much more, how much more, I like that. How much more, and that's comparing Jesus' sacrifice with Old Testament sacrifices. He says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, everybody say blood of Christ. See, that's what we're talking about, the benefits of the blood. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, through the eternal spirit. You see, God, there was for us, we know of a time Space, continuum, event, the crucifixion, it really happened. It's, a, it's an historical event. But in the realm of the spirit, in the realm of the eternal, in the God realm, God saw Jesus from before the foundation of the world as the lamb that was slain. Every Old Testament saint that made it to Abraham's bosom and then was taken after the resurrection of Jesus on into the presence of the Lord Every person, even back there then, their salvation was not because of the blood of goats and calves and bulls and because of the sprinkling of with hyssop and all the other ordinances of the law. Those were all just pictures of the reality that would come in Christ. They were all able to be able to be in the presence of the Lord because of the blood of Jesus that for them, in their time, space continuum would have been... Said to be future tense. But in the realm of the Spirit, there's no time. In that realm, they got saved on a promissory note. We got saved based on what's already been done. And the salvation for both at this point in time is equal and good. And it's all through the blood of Jesus. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that we don't do a whole lot of in-depth recreating of Old Testament rites and ceremonies in in our church uh, family and in our church services because we are not Old Testament saints. We are New Testament saints. Amen. I'm not saying that it's not good to know. It's important. We can... You can take the Passover meal, for instance, and you can learn so much about the blood of Jesus, so much about the sacrifice of Jesus. But I don't celebrate Passover. I celebrate the resurrected Jesus. He said, you know, take this and eat of it. It's my body, that piece of bread. And he said, take this cup and drink of it. And so we find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to a Gentile church a non-Jewish congregation, and he says to them and gives them instructions about the Lord's Supper, as we call it, or the communion. And there was no lamb, there was no blood, there were no bitter herbs. There was not all of those traditional things, and I'm not saying that's there's anything wrong with learning it. But it was very simple. Two elements. We're going to receive them today. The blood and the cup. Because that's the essential that's the picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed on our behalf. Amen. Amen. And so here he goes on to say, uh, "Where were we? We were talking about uh, Hebrews nine chapter, ninth chapter, fourteenth verse. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge?" Same word, cleanse, purge, purify. Your what? Conscience. From dead works to serve the living God. Our conscience has been cleansed. Now let me, let me give you a few things here that you really need. This will really help you as you approach God, as you pray. And this will especially help you when you don't feel spiritual. Am I the only person in the room that sometimes doesn't feel spiritual? Am I the only person in the room that sometimes gets up on Sunday morning and would like to just stay in the bed? Am I the only person in the room that sometimes wants to say things that they should not say to people? And, and I guess sometimes I have said it to people, but thank God for the blood. Amen. But you understand what I'm talking about. We don't always feel spiritual. We are spirit beings. We live inside physical bodies. We possess a soul, a mind, will, emotions, and intellect. And it's not always that we are the most sensitive and sensitized to the spiritual dimension and even to our own spirit nature per se. But we don't have to feel spiritual in order to enjoy these benefits of the blood. And so what I'm saying to you today is your conscience is cleansed through the blood of Jesus which means that we do not have to dwell on or be condemned about our past. You see we talk about a guilty conscience. Nobody has a guilty conscience unless they've done something they shouldn't have done or either they have failed to do something they should have done. We understand that as a as a guilty conscience. Well, you don't have to have a guilty conscience as a believer. You don't have to dwell on your past. Why? Because according to Galatians 2 and 20, you were crucified with Christ. That's what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now historians tell us that Paul would not have been in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. And Paul's own writings would indicate that as well because there's no reference by him anywhere that he was there as a part of the Sanhedrin that would have been a part of the group that would have been putting Jesus on trial. None of that stuff. So he must have evidently been gone. But yet he says, I am crucified with Christ. I have been. I have been. And so he, he was saying, I'm identified with Christ, just like Jesus identified with me when he came to the earth. I'm identifying with him, and so therefore his crucifixion is my crucifixion. Which also means his resurrection is my resurrection. His life is my life. His standing with the Father is my standing with the Father. His inheritance is my inheritance. And Paul would tell the Ephesians in chapter 1, you need to pray for the spirit of revelation to show you this stuff. Because, see, this will change your life. And you will rise above that issue of a guilty conscience. Your conscience will be clean and cleansed. Because, as we said earlier, God has chosen to delete that part of our record. And so we should do the same. In Revelation 12 and 10, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. So you have an accuser. You have someone that is bringing accusations against you, but what I want you to understand today, and see, when the devil brings accusations, obviously he's trying to throw things up and see if something will stick. But you know, have you noticed that that you hear those accusations? It's a simulcast. He's trying to get that before the Lord to tell you, tell him why you don't deserve to be blessed why you don't deserve eternal life, why you don't deserve to have peace, why you don't deserve to be prospered, why you don't deserve to get healed. And he wants to simulcast that to you and tell you all the why you shouldn't get healed, why you shouldn't be blessed, why it's too late, you've done too much, you failed here, you failed there, you're too old, you're too whatever. And he tells us all those things. But I want you to understand that Satan's accusations have no legal status. You know, anybody can say anything they want to. They can call you any kind of name they want to call you. They can accuse you of whatever they want to accuse you of, but only facts are facts. And when it comes to you and your relationship with God, when it comes to you and sins we've committed and things that we've done wrong and things we didn't do we should have done, the fact is God knows the truth. And if you know the truth, you know that those messes we made and those mistakes we made and those sins we committed, they are under the blood of Jesus Christ. And Satan makes an accusation that has no legal boundaries or no no legal consequences. You know, you could, in other words, there's not enough evidence to prosecute you. The case has been dropped. You're free to go because he doesn't have enough stuff to hold you because somebody already paid the price. Somebody already did everything necessary for you to be acquitted, to be found not guilty. Or another word we use in Scripture is justified, meaning just as if I'd never sinned. And if you get that kind of mentality about who you are in Christ, then you will never let the devil again tell you you're an unworthy worm, that you can't have it because you've never been good enough. You can just stand in his face and say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I have come into the blood covenant, and I will have what the Word says I have. I can do what the Word says I can do because I am who the Word says I am. Hallelujah. This belongs to me. I am free. I am free, hallelujah, I'm free. We are right now justified, right now acquitted. We are right now found not guilty. We are right now even found righteous before God. And this is something that I want to, I want to share with you before we go. And you guys can come on up and uh, we'll get ready to sing and we'll receive communion. But this is very important, I want you to hear it. A lot of people can work their way into their thinking, the idea that God would forgive me. Because we know about forgiveness even among each other. And probably everybody in here, you've forgiven someone for something. We under- and and you've, you've asked for forgiveness and you've been forgiven. So we understand that concept. But let me say this before we close today. To take the step beyond to know, to believe, to affirm, confess, and to live like you have been made righteous before God. That's another step in our thinking. As far as God's concerned, it's all the same package. But in our mind, in our thinking, we always, not always, but many times, we have equated righteousness with deeds and acts. And there is in the Bible... You know, there is language about righteous acts. So that's, that's okay. But the righteousness of God that's spoken of in Second Corinthians 5.21, that you and I have been made, God made us so. That's not an act. That's a state of being. And that's a place, that's a position in Christ that we have. Now, if you're having problems resisting sin, if you're having problems with attitudes and you're having problems with the enemy taking you off track, if you'll meditate and you'll study and you will confess with your mouth this great truth of your righteousness before God, you will find that it's one of the greatest benefits you'll ever find to help you not to sin, to choose righteousness, to choose the righteous acts, because it's vital that we understand who we are. God does not see you as an old sinner that just happened to get saved by grace. I never, ever, I'm not saying I never have, but I do not now and have not for many, many, many years. I never say I'm just an old sinner or I'm just a sinner. And I never say in the pulpit or out of the pulpit, well, we're all just sinners. Because if you're born again, you are not a sinner. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. A sinner is someone that's never been born again. They're on their way to hell. The righteousness of God in Christ is a born again child of God through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ who is in right standing before God. Righteousness means right standing with God. That's the standing you have. That's the place you hold. And so there are so many wonderful, glorious benefits of the blood of Jesus that I can't get even... My list isn't the, the total list, but I can't finish my list today. So next week, I've got some other good things to talk to you about the blood of Jesus. But before we receive our communion this morning...